time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. It's another edition of Re-Engineering Your Finances. Walter Storholt here alongside Charles Weldy, founder, certified financial planner, CPA at CP Weldy Group. And you can find more information online at cpweldygroup.com. Charles, going to be a great episode today, and I hope you're doing well. Doing well, Walter. How about yourself? Yeah, doing great. Looking forward to our conversation today. It's right up your alley, my friend, as we have the top 10 tax questions for retirees in 2023. And so as we look at the rest of the year and also people preparing to file their taxes for this year, we both want to kind of do some last-minute tax preparation for this year, but really also doing some planning for the year or even years ahead by answering some very critical questions. So if you're ever confused by tax stuff as it relates to your retirement plan, we're going to hopefully address and clear up some of those issues on today's show. And Charles, I know as we record today's episode, you're in the thick of it getting ready for uh, for tax day coming up here in a couple of weeks from now. Yeah, we've got, uh, you know, we've got like three or four preparers doing tax returns and, you know, definitely uh, another eight weeks. And I think, uh, you know, I'll be ready to go out and play some golf. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Isn't it nice <laughs> the tax season ends right around the time golf season gets kicked off? Uh, it's beautiful. Not, 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 maybe not a coincidence. Uh, well, let's dive into our list here. So again, we're going to go through the top 10 tax questions for retirees for 2023. So here's the first one. What are the tax implications of withdrawing money from my retirement accounts? It's not all treated the same, right? Depends on where you're pulling from. Exactly. So really there's like three types of accounts, Walter, pre-tax, post-tax, tax-free. So let's just say we had $100,000 in each of those accounts, $300,000 divided up into pre-tax, post-tax, and tax-free. And let's say that, you know, I'm the advisor because I'm great at what I do. I double your money. So all of a sudden it's worth 200 grand. So you take the 200 grand out of your pre-tax account. Guess what? You're taxed on 100% of that, the whole 200 grand. Why? Because when you put the money in, you got a deduction and it grew. And when you take it out, you'll pay tax on the whole kit and caboodle. So that's one example. The post-tax, you put 100 grand in there, it doubles in value. You're only taxed on the growth. Why? Because your basis is 100 grand. 100 grand turns into 200, you take it out, you're taxed on the growth, $100,000. And lastly, the tax-free account, generally Roth IRAs, maybe cash value life insurance, you put the money in after tax, it, you know, 100 grand, it grows to 200 grand, you take it all out, none of it's taxed. So really, like when you think about it, in retirement, you really should strategically have enough money in each account so that you can control your tax bill. Okay, very good. I know we could do a whole episode on just that one piece of the equation, looking at all your different retirement accounts and the different tax implications of them, but uh, we're we're going with the high-level view today. So let's move to the next piece, which is similar, but we're going to isolate specifically Social Security and look at if those benefits are going to be taxed or how they're going to be taxed. I'm sure this is an area where there's a lot of confusion for retirees. There is. They they probably locked some IRS agents up in a room, you know, to figure out how to tax Social Security about 30, 40 <laughs> years ago, because it's really a complicated formula. But just to kind of like put it in, a, in, you know, to summarize it, what you do, Walter, is you take your Social Security gross, you know, whatever that amount is. Let's just say it was like 40 grand and you divide it by two. Well, that's 20 grand. Now you add to that all your other income. And if you're single and that total is over 25,000, a portion of your social security will be taxed. If it's less than 25,000, nothing's taxed. 
If it's greater than 34,000, up to 85% of that will be taxed. That's somebody who's single. And there's similar rules for people that are married. But the point I want to make here is there really are three ways of determining your taxation. Number one is ordinary income. Hey, you take a pension out, your tax at ordinary income rates, W-2 earnings, tax at ordinary income rates. Then there's capital gains where, hey, you can be taxed as little as zero, maybe as high as you know, 15, 20, 22%, depending upon, you know, whether that surtax kicks in. And lastly, you know, how does your social security benefits get taxed? And your social security benefits get taxed, you know, as ordinary income, but it's based on some formula. And the formula is half your social security benefits plus all your other income. And then you determine whether it's over that $25,000, $34,000 income gap. Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. And uh, you can see why there is that confusion of Social Security benefits and uh, the taxation revolving that conversation. Uh, Let's also move to something similar and and kind of keep it under this initial umbrella here, Charles. And we're going to talk about taxation of another area now, pension income. Uh, So kind of a similar, you know, methodology or or way of thinking to, you know, Social Security benefits, but your own personal pension. Well, how does taxation of that pension income differ from other forms of retirement income? Well, I mean, pension income really, for the most part, at the federal level is taxed as ordinary income. So, you know, some people might have like funded the pension with you know, some of the dollars that they put into in retirement, maybe after tax dollars. So they'll recoup a portion of that, you know, tax free. But by and large, for the majority of the people listening to this webcast or this podcast, rather, there's, um, you know, it's ordinary income, pretty much, you know, you know, cut and dried. However, you know, depending upon the state you live in, uh, you know, a lot of states don't tax pensions. Uh, Pennsylvania, for example, does not. Jersey, right across the river here, does. So pensions for federal purposes generally are taxed as ordinary income, but for state purposes, you know, there's a myriad of rules. Some people exclude fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars, you know, of pension. Others exclude it all. Some tax everything. So it really depends on where you live uh, in, in terms of taxability of pension income. All right, we had this pass at the beginning of the year, Charles, Secure Act 2.0. So that would be another thing that, you know, on this updated list for 2023 tax questions, we'd want to add that in there as well. And how does the Secure Act 2.0 affect retirement income, especially from a taxes standpoint? Well, I mean, I'll just be candid. I haven't like read it like, you know, through, you know, from A to Z, but a couple things that I want to highlight with the Secure 2.0 Act is that they're really like postponing your requirement and distribution age, say from 70 and a half it was to 72 with Secure Act number one, but now they're going to 73, 75, depending upon when you were born. So it might sound on the surface, hey, that's great. I'm not required to take money out of my retirement account. But the downside of that, Walter, is that if you pass away and that goes to someone other than your spouse, if someone's single, it goes to their children and or grandchildren, um, they're going to have to clean that account out within 10 years. And as a general rule, probably the beneficiaries of that IRA that they're not a spouse, the beneficiaries of that account will have to include that on their income tax return over and above their salary. And chances are they'll probably pay a higher tax rate than the parent would have paid or, you know, the the person who passed away would have paid on that uh, account balance had they taken it out sooner rather than later. So that's one of the issues is, you know, they're, uh, I guess, 
postponing the requirement and distribution age. And another one that I read briefly is that there's a lot of 529 plans out there where, uh, you know, parents, grandparents are, you know, saving money for their children's education. Um, and for the most part, you know, if that's used for college, it'll be tax free. But, you know, in the real world, not everybody goes to college. If they do, they don't spend it all. So the IRS is allowing um, you know, any uh, money in a 529 plan to ultimately be uh, converted to a Roth IRA, which is really, a, I think, a really big deal. So they're the two things that I want to highlight, you know, on this podcast, but there's plenty of others. And, you know, if truth be told, I haven't read it all yet, but I'm in the process now of putting together um, a video, maybe a three-minute video highlighting maybe the top five, um, you know, changes for the Secure 2.0 Act. Okay, very good. This next tip will get us halfway through the list. Uh, are there any special tax deductions or credits available to retirees? Well, I mean, obviously, like the, there's a big push with these electro, uh, electric vehicles out there. And, you know, there's $7,500 credits, depending upon, you know, what model or make that you buy. That's a credit, a tax credit, which is great because it's, uh, you know, it's dollar for dollar. So if I have a $10,000 tax liability and I have a $7,500 credit, it's as if the IRS gave me $7,500 to wipe out, you know, the bulk of my tax bill. But more importantly, you know, in terms of... Um, special tax deductions, a lot of people I realize in the last three or four years have not been able to itemize on their Schedule A personal tax return. And they give you know money to charity, sometimes substantial amounts. So I'm just going to give you an example. Let's just say somebody was like 60 years old, you know, they're very charitably inclined. They give, you know, let's just say 10 grand a year to charity. You know, I know it's a lot, but in, in the real world, there are people that do things of that nature. But if someone, you know, uh, does not itemize on their tax return and gives 10000 to charity, they won't be able to take a $10,000 deduction and get a tax benefit. What they might want to consider is they might want to consider maybe taking $100,000 out of their IRA and setting up a donor-advised fund. It sounds complicated, but it really isn't. So on the one hand, they're taking a hundred grand out of their IRA, so that's taxable income. But if they, in the same year, they set up a donor-advised fund and fund it with that hundred grand, they get a hundred thousand dollar deduction on their Schedule A. So in in essence, that hundred grand is not taxable. Now they have a side account that they can invest any way they want, and each and every year, as they give the charity, they can take it out of that account, and they still get the standard deduction. So if we do the math, when a hundred grand, generally speaking, people might be in the 25% tax bracket when, you know, the tax rates go back to where they were prior to uh, the Trump tax changes. So 25% of a hundred grand is 25 grand. So that one example where, hey, you set up a donor advised fund, take the money out of a pre-tax account, fund it in the same year, and then over 10 years or, you know, whatever your lifetime, use that to pay, you know, charitable contributions. It's a win-win. Win-win is what we like to hear when it comes to taxes, Charles. So that's a good one. All right, we're halfway through our list of top 10 tax questions for retirees. If any of these have brought up questions for you so far, reach out by calling 610-388-7705 to reach Charles. That's 610-388-7705. Or go online to cpweldygroup.com. And we will link to that in our uh, show description in the show notes of today's episode. So find contact information easily there as well. Number six on our list is how will my taxes change if I decide to move to another state in retirement? Moving to a new state, something that 
retirees have been doing for a long time, Charles, but I, I imagine it's just with even more frequency in the wake of the pandemic. No, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, it depends on where you move to. So obviously, you're not probably going to move to New York. You're probably not going to move to New Jersey. You're probably not going to move to California. Why? Because they're, they're probably the three highest, you know, taxable states, and uh, they're not really friendly to retirees. Uh, places like Florida, Texas, Georgia, even Pennsylvania are, you know, um, open arms for retirees because a lot of the income uh, will not be taxed or, you know, they get good tax breaks, so to speak. So it really does depend on, you know, where you're going to live in retirement. And I do ask my clients, uh, you know, hey, when you retire, are you going to be like stay in your house? Are you going to move to another state? Because it does impact their future taxation. And, um, you know, if you have 25, 30 years of retirement and uh, one state taxes zero and another state taxes maybe as high as 13.3 percent, it's a it's a real big difference. Big difference for sure. My parents were uh, are moving this year from North Carolina to Maine, and uh, we have a lot of family that was in New uh, that lives in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And so it was just interesting. Everybody in our family at at Christmas this year was comparing tax rates (laughs) and looking at all the different states we all live in and how much we pay in taxes. And it was just mind boggling the differences in some of those cases. Cool. really makes you uh, sort of scratch your head in some uh, some of those times and go, wow, it sounds impossible to pay that much. My goodness. Uh, here's another one for you, Charles. Are there any tax benefits for making charitable contributions in retirement? There are. I mean, if you're retired and you're 70 and a half or older, you're allowed to you know, pay up to $100,000 a year to a charity and basically take that money out of your IRA or 401k and not really pay any tax. Uh, because basically the income won't be reportable. Yeah, you don't get the $100,000 charitable deduction in that example, but it's a, in essence, it's like taking money out and paying with pre-tax dollars, never having to pay that tax at all. So that's a big benefit, but you have to be 70 and a half. And the example I gave earlier in this podcast, Walter, was for any age. I mean, you could be 60 years old, set up a donor-advised fund. So there's different ways you know, that you can maybe give to charity and really get a tax benefit regardless of whether you itemize or not. All right. Very good. We are working through our top 10 list of tax questions for retirees in 2023. And here's another one. And this is an interesting one. Something a lot of uh, folks want to do in retirement is, you know, give money to the next generation, but while they're still living. And so are there tax considerations if someone wants to gift money to their children or even their grandchildren? Yeah, I mean, everyone's aware, most likely, of like, hey, there's an annual gift exclusion of sixteen thousand dollars. So, you know, I can give anybody sixteen grand. I happen to be married, so my wife and I can do a joint gift of thirty-two thousand to anyone, without like, you know, paying any tax or you know, the recipient, you know, owing any tax. So that's one area. But you know, when you talk about gifting, it's not just charity. You know, obviously it's family, but you can gift up to your parents. You can gift down to your children, grandchildren. And there are tax advantages because there are, you know, seniors out there that maybe they're, you know, they don't have a lot of income. They might be in the 12, 10% tax bracket. And what people don't realize is that when you're in the 10, 12% tax bracket, if you were to sell a stock, your capital gains rate is zero. So, um, you know, if I own Apple stock and I, you know, my mom needs, uh, you know, some care instead of maybe giving her cash, I might like, you know, 
transfer that stock to her name. She sells it. Uh, you know, there's no gain reported because she's in the 12% tax bracket. And now we have more money to work with to do what she needs to do. So that's one example. When you give down to your kids, it's the same, you know, uh, situation. However, if the kids are relatively young under a certain age, I think it might be 18. Don't hold me to it, but I think it's either 16 or 18. Um, you know, their income, uh, if they're, if they're under, say 18, let's just say that was the number. If they're 18 or under, then, you know, it's as if you gifted it to yourself. There is no tax advantage. But if they're older, like your kids are greater than 18 and filing their own tax return, again, if they're in a low tax bracket, it could be advantageous. Instead of you selling a stock to maybe gifting it to them, they sell it, pay no tax. There's more money available you know, to give. All right. Great points across the board. Let's move on to uh, two more here, Charles. Next one, are there tax issues with starting a small or side business in retirement? And I suppose you're seeing this more often as well when people sort of do the semi-retirement thing that would kind of fall under this category, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on like, you know, the side businesses are going to make a lot of money or a little money. I, you know, I don't want to quantify what a lot or a little is, but let's just say that, um, you know, it's going to be a lot. All right. So if you're going to make a lot of money, you probably want to, you know, make sure that you pick the right entity and the right entity for most people in retirement could be like a subchapter S corporation. Why? Well, because, you know, the earnings that they make or the money that they derive from that business, they, they can allocate a portion to salary, which will be subject to Social Security tax, and they can allocate a portion to profits, which is not subject to Social Security tax. So let's just take an example. Somebody had a $20,000 profit and they, you know, were Schedule C. Uh, Schedule C is just a sole proprietor. They'd have to pay Social Security tax on $20,000. Well, basically the rate is 15.3%. So when you do the math, uh, you know, that's like uh, what? Uh, 20,000 times 15% is like, over $3,000. However, if they were, say, an S Corp and they made the same profit, 20 grand, let's just say they gave themselves a salary of 10 and have profits of 10, now they cut their, their Social Security taxation down by half because the profits uh, aren't subject to Social Security taxation. So just a little thing like that. Uh, when people do retire, they start a business, probably the most critical, like, piece of that is like, hey, how are you going to structure your business? And it really should take into account the profits that the retiree anticipates, you know, producing. All right. Great points across the board. And let's get to our last one here, Charles. I know that we're just arbitrarily capping this at a top 10 list because it sounds nice that way, but we could probably continue to make more and more important tax questions that retirees should, uh, you know, be asking in 2023. But I'll leave the last one uh, as an advisor's choice. Which would you throw in as our 10th and final one? Well, you know, I, I've been getting questions uh, lately about reverse mortgages. I mean, not wow. from people that are, you know, loot, like, you know, running out of money, but, you know, it seems to be a big buzz in the industry. A lot of people have equity in their house and it's a non-performing asset. It might be worth like six, seven hundred grand. The mortgage is paid off, but, you know, hey, they're, they need some money because of this high inflation we're experiencing. So for the most part, you know, reverse mortgages, I was always trained many, many years ago that, hey, if you're dumb, stupid and broke, you got to get a reverse mortgage. But that's not the case today, Walter. T today, I mean, people are actually tapping the equity in their house to provide, you know, for, you know, a, a better retirement. 
Does everybody have to do it? Absolutely not. But just some basics, you know, maybe the downside is that when you decide to do a reverse mortgage, there's an upfront cost. I mean, the upfront cost, most of the ones that I've seen are somewhere around 18 to 20 grand. So what happens is that, you know, you don't have a mortgage, but you know, you want to get a reverse mortgage. Most people don't take the 20 grand out of their bank account. They say, Hey, just add it to the, the account balance. So you start with a $20,000 liability. But the reality of it is, is it might not be a bad idea because I heard a story uh, maybe a year and a half ago of a gentleman from Pittsburgh who had a $400,000 house fully paid and uh, he wanted to live to, he wanted to move to Colorado to live close to his grandkids and a comparable house in Colorado was 700 grand. So what he did, he sold his house in Pittsburgh for 400 grand, moved to Colorado, put the 400 grand down on the house, the $700,000 house had a $300,000 mortgage. He decided to you know, make it a reverse mortgage so he wouldn't have to make any payments. He could have taken 300 grand out of his retirement account, you know, paid the mortgage off or not even taken a mortgage, paid the whole thing cash or got a conventional mortgage. But what he realized was like, wow, you know, I only have to, I'm living in a $700,000 house. I own it a hundred percent. Whenever, it go, if it goes up each year by 2%, that 14 grand, 2% times 700 grand is my equity and mine alone. I'm going to write checks as I need them from my reverse mortgage and I'll get charged interest on the amount that I write each and every month. Fine. When I pass away, the house will be valued. It'll be sold. The reverse mortgage will be paid off and net proceeds will go to my children and or grandchildren. And what he figured out, Walter, it's kind of like a, an eye opener is if he went to Colorado and rented a, a, a similar um, like a, a beautiful apartment or a similar you know, space in terms of like living, he would have paid more, you know, uh, in rental than he would have paid living in that house that he owns. And hopefully it'll go up by, you know, some, some, somewhat a year, 2%, you know, just as a rule of thumb. So the point I want to make is reverse mortgages. I kind of did a 360 degree turn on three, on, on uh, reverse mortgages. In the past, I wasn't a fan of them. Not that I, you know, I'm an advocate of them today, but I think it's a tool in your toolbox for people that, you know, uh, have another like 10, 15, 20 years of retirement, have a, an asset that's underperforming. And if they did it strategically, they could tap that asset and really still leave, you know, a, a nice legacy for their children and or grandkids. Well, that's really the great point across the board here, isn't it? It's uh, it's so much about creative planning, uh, creative problem solving to uh, getting solutions to different problems that people have. Sometimes it's a straightforward answer. Sometimes it's something that's outside the box, like that person's solution ended up being. So I know that's something that you're helping people figure out and plan for on a daily basis in the office, Charles. So there you have it, our top 10 list for retirees in 2023, tax considerations to keep on the top of your mind and to be planning for into the future. If you've got questions about these or want to talk to Charles in more detail, you can reach out at 610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. Or go online to cpweldygroup.com. We're going to link to that in the description of today's show so you can find it easily. Charles, thanks for all the help on the show today. Enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll have a great episode on tap next time around. Thank you, Walter. Well, thank you as well, Charles. And uh, we'll see everybody next time right back here on Reengineering Your Finances.
Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.